Take your Bibles this morning, please, and turn to John's Gospel, chapter 15. John chapter 15, this text was written right before Jesus went to the garden. There he was arrested, unfairly tried, and went to the cross to shed his blood in payment for our sins. But that's not the end of the story, is it? Three days later, he rose again. Rose again victorious, sin, death, and the grave. Jesus Christ, our living hope. The text that we've been looking at here in John chapter 15 tells us that we are to abide in him. He is the vine, we are the branches. And Jesus gives to us then testimony about the proof that we are his disciples. Connected to him, interwoven with him, recognizing that he is living in and through us for his honor and for his glory. I trust that our statement of faith is not the only evidence of our Let me repeat that. I trust that the statement of our faith is not the only evidence of our faith. And Jesus gives to us four evidences of our faith. I want to read this text this morning again. I trust that it is starting to penetrate your mind and work its way into your heart. And I trust that as we share it together, recognizing that we are to keep his commandments and what that's all about that the proof that we are his disciples is seen as we live our lives as salt and light in this world. John chapter 15, red letter, Jesus' words. Let us begin with verse 1, and we will read down through verse 17. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him... He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, So have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. 
No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Now, the four evidences that we have seen in this passage of Scripture that prove that we are his disciples are these. One, that we love one another. Two, that we understand that we are to invest in fruit. Three, that we keep his commandments. And four, that we understand it is an exclusive relationship with Jesus Christ. Love one another, invest in fruit, keep his commandments, and it's an exclusive relationship with Jesus Christ. Now this morning we want to look at that third evidence, keep his commandments. And we are going to look at verse 10 together, and we are going to look at verse 14. Underline verse 10 in your Bibles, will you please? It says this, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Then verse 14 says, you're my friends if you do what I command you. The big picture of this passage is this. You can keep his commandments without loving him, but you cannot love him without keeping his commandments. You may be able to keep his commandments without loving him, but you cannot love him without keeping his commandments. So allow that to overshadow what we study this morning. It's all about our relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, there's a very simple action that that is given to us here. And that action is this. Keep my commandments. Now, we have talked about commandments, and we have seen that in the Old Testament, there were three types of commandments. There were ceremonial commandments, there were civil commandments, and there were moral commandments. It's important for us to recognize this, and I brought this out in the last couple of weeks, because as we look at the Old Testament Scripture, we pick and choose what commandments we think are important. And the way we determine what commandments are important is we recognize that the civil and the ceremonial commandments were given exclusively to Israel. Those ceremonial commandments that deal with the Levites and sacrifice and feast days, those were specific to Israel. The civil or judicial commandments that were given to Israel talked about crops and mixing of fabrics and diets that we are to have. And those were exclusively given to Israel. Those are not for us today. But God's moral commandments are the underlying truth of his holiness and his righteousness in our lives. They're the ethics, the relationships that we are to have with one another. Now, all of these are reflected in the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, and you have seen those before. And they are divided into two categories. The first category is our vertical relationship with God. The first four commandments given to us in Exodus chapter 20, and I'll not have you turn there, deal with our relationship with God. 
may I give them to you? There's only one God. No graven images. Don't take his name in vain. And remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. And so as we look at our relationship with God, we recognize that we must worship the right God. We must worship the right God the right way. No graven images. We must worship the right God the right way with the right kind of attitude. Don't take his name in vain. And we must worship the right God the right way with the right attitude with the right kind of commitment. You say, well, wait a minute. We don't worship on the Sabbath. What's that all about? Of the Decalogue, and we will talk about the relationship we have horizontally with man in just a minute. Of the Decalogue, the only commandment that is not repeated in the New Testament is remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. But as I have identified, that reminds us that we have a commitment to God. As you think about Sabbath, you understand that it is separation unto God. It is essential that we remember that we are to separate ourselves unto a holy God. Now, all of this was started back in creation. Remember? God created the heavens and the earth, right? And on the seventh day, he did what? He rested. Why did he do that? Because he was tired? The reason he did that is he wanted the focus to be on who he was and what he he had done. And so we carry that over into Israel as they recognize the Sabbath as a holy day, a day of separation unto God. It was also a day in which they turned from the earthly toward the heavenly. Now, you may recall that in order to keep Sabbat or the Sabbath, there were a number of regulations that were given by the religious leaders to man because they wanted to make sure that they were separated unto God exclusively. They didn't want anything to interrupt that in their lives. Now, we may think some of these are a little bizarre. And even today, Orthodox Jews keep Sabbat. Halakha. If you can cough and spit, you can speak Hebrew. Halakha. Are the 39 categories of regulations that you must keep if you are going to remember the Sabbath according to Old Testament structure? Now, let me just give you a brief summary of this. Basic activities that you have to refrain from on Sabbat writing, erasing, tearing business transactions, driving, riding in cars or other vehicles, shopping, using the telephone, texting, computer, TV, 
turning off or on anything which uses electricity, including lights, radios, televisions, computers, air conditionings, and alarm clocks. Boy, wouldn't that be nice. Cooking, baking, kindling a fire, gardening, grass mowing, doing laundry. All of these are prohibited on Shabbat, according to the halakha. Now, I googled an Orthodox Jewish site so that we could really understand the practicality of all of this. Now, do you remember what this is for? This is separation unto God, turning our minds from the earthly toward the heavenly. This, this is the whole purpose of this. And on this side, it says this. Does all this mean that Shabbat is somewhat a miserable affair? It's a fair question. Where we sit hungry in the dark? Not at all. It simply means that we have to prepare for Shabbat in advance so that, on the contrary, we celebrate in luxury without doing any of the actual work. For example, lights will be needed on Shabbat, and they are turned on before Shabbat. Automatic timers may be used for lights in some appliances as long as they have been set before Shabbat. The refrigerator may be used, but again, we have to ensure that it does not engender any of the forbidden Shabbat activities. Thus, the fridge light should be disconnected before Shabbat by unscrewing the bulb slightly. The freezer, whose fan is activated when the door is open, may not be used. We may not cook a fire, so we cook before Shabbat and keep the food warm through special methods. And the whole focus is what? To separate ourselves unto you say, well, that's a good principle, but a lousy way to do it. You know, in the New Testament, God tells us that every day is his day. So we don't celebrate just the Sabbath. Now, keep your fingers here in John chapter 15 and turn over to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 14, will you please? Romans chapter 14. I just want to show this to you very, very quickly this morning. Romans chapter 14. Verse 5. Are you there? One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be both Lord both of the dead and the living. 
What Paul is telling us here is that in grace, it's not about just a day. It's about who God is. In grace, it's not just about an activity. It's about whether therefore we eat or drink or whatsoever we do, do all to the glory of God. In grace, it's not that I give thanks for this and do this as secular work. It's that my life is blended together so that Jesus Christ is glorified whether by life or by death. And I have separated myself unto him because he's given to me all things. And I am to live out all things that pertain to life and godliness. Amen? So Jesus, when he came, he didn't come to destroy the law. He came to fulfill it. And he fulfilled it in the person of himself and gives to us grace. Amen? Now, in New Testament, every day was holy to the Lord. And if you read the book of Acts, you find out that they gathered every day to worship God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, they began to gather on the first day of the week. Why? Because that's the day of resurrection. Why do we meet on Sunday? The first day of the week. I have a pet peeve. You don't have any of those, do you? My pet peeve is calendars that have Saturday and Sunday at the end of the week and call it the weekend. Because Sunday is the first day of the week. It's not the weekend. It's the day of resurrection. And we know the power and wonder of God because he is alive. Amen? Hebrews chapter 10 tells us that we are not to neglect the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. And so the right kind of commitment is this. Do all to the glory of God, no matter what day of the week it is. The right kind of commitment is this. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. The right kind of commitment is this eating, drinking, whatever, God gets the glory for my life. Amen? That's our vertical relationship with God. Now, that's the first four commandments. The last six commandments deal with our horizontal relationship with each other, our relationship with man. And you remember what they are. The fifth commandment is honor your father and your mother. Don't murder is the sixth. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Do not covet. Now, each of these is referenced in the New Testament, our relationship with man. In fact, the fifth commandment, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, for it's the first commandment with promise, and the promise is that you may have long days. You want to live a long time, guys? Honor your father and mother. And Jesus said, don't murder. In fact, don't hate your brother in your heart because that's just like murder. 
And he said, don't commit adultery. In fact, don't look on a woman to lust after her because that's just adultery in your heart. Don't do it. And then the gospel, he says, don't steal, don't bear fault. Don't. Those are the moral laws so that we can be the kind of people God wants us to be, holy and acceptable unto God. Keep my commandments. Now, in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? The context is that the Sadducees had just asked Jesus an interesting question. He says, a a guy gets married, he dies, his brother marries his wife, he dies, his brother marries his wife, these women are killing off these men. And the question is, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? That was a Sadducee question. And it's an interesting question because the Sadducees didn't even believe in the resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see. And so Jesus told them, you don't know what you're talking about. There's no no marrying in the resurrection. it's, It's all about who God is. And the Pharisees saw that the Sadducees had been put to silence. There was a real friction between the two. And a lawyer of the Pharisees comes up and says, okay, Jesus, tell me what the greatest commandment is. Trying to catch him. And you remember what he said? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Right? And the second is likened to that, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, we go very quickly back to John's gospel. And Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, just as I have loved you. That's John chapter 13. And in John chapter 15, Jesus says, this is my commandment that I give to you, that you love one another. So what are the action items Jesus gives to us as we are to keep his commandment? Simply this, we are to love God. We are to love one another, and we're to love our neighbors. Pretty simple, isn't it? Love God, love our neighbors, love one another. Now back to verse 10 in John chapter 15. Are you there? John chapter 15, verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. It's not just about action items. It's really about an attitude. Now, the word abide there is an interesting word. Jesus says we will abide in his love. It's the word meno. And if you look it up in a Greek dictionary... This is a Greek word. If you look it up in a Greek dictionary, you will find, just like our dictionaries, several different definitions or ways it's used. It's used of living in a place. You abide where you live. I live at 11266, three and a half mile road, Battle Creek, Michigan, 49015. Leroy Townsend. That's where I abide. 
That's where I live. It's also used as a state or a condition. Right now, I'm abiding here. This is my state. This is my condition. I'm, I'm not going anyplace. The third way it's used is the way Jesus used it in this passage. And that's this. It's about a relationship. It's about a heart. It's about a will. It's about the mind. A relationship that we have as vine and branches. And Jesus said, if you keep my commandments, you will abide, have a relationship with, your mind, your will, your emotion, my love. So really, it's all about an attitude. Now, I want you to know something this morning. Love is an emotion dressed for action. Think about that, will you please? Love is an emotion dressed for action. And perhaps the best way to do it is to be reminded of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, the great love chapter, right? Look at it here. Patient, kind, doesn't envy, boast, not arrogant, rude, doesn't insist on its own way, not irritable, not resentful, doesn't rejoice in wrong, but rejoice in truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never. Do you see the action there? But you cannot do this action without a good attitude. Love is an attitude dressed to do this. Ready to respond. You ever do something with a bad attitude? Not you, that's just me. I have a friend, I call him a friend, who in some cases thinks I'm his taxi service. Saturday, I'm just getting ready to go downstairs and work out. I got my shorts on, I got my sweatshirt on, I got my gym shoes on, I am ready to go to work. And I get a call. Don't you love Call identification. It's my friend. What's he want? So I have a choice. I can either answer it or not, right? I answered it. He's at Sam's Club and needs a ride home. He didn't have money for a cab, Vern. I could have gone and given him money for a cab. That, that's, that's much too complicated to go into. But anyway, all right? So, so now I have a choice to make. Now I live on the south side. Sam's Club is five minutes from my house. He lives in Springfield which is not five minutes from my house. I'll tell you what I did, and I'll tell you what I thought. I went and picked him up and took him home and grumbled about it in my spirit the whole time. And after I, it's amazing how God does this to me. I wish he wouldn't. 
I'm driving home. I drop him off, and I'm driving home, and God says, Tom, do you love this guy? And I thought, not as much as you do, God. And then he said to me, shouldn't you love him as much as I do? I had to have an attitude adjustment. You see, keeping his commandments can be done with a bad attitude. But if we love him, we will keep his commandments. And it's all about attitude. Jesus said, abide in my love. How do we do that? John 14, keep his commandments. He it is who loves me. John 14, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my commandments. 1 John chapter 5 says, we keep his commandments and they're not burdensome. King James, grievous. I like burdensome better. Burdensome to it. So here's the deal. If we keep his commandments, it's fairly easy to do because we love him so much. And if we don't love him very much, it's going to be a tough thing to do. So the action is what? Keep my commandments. The attitude's what? Love him. With mind, will, spirit, abide in his love. You see, our love for him ought to be in that we keep his There it is. Jesus said, this is what proves you're my disciples. And it's not just the action because the Orthodox Jews have the action. They even unscrew the refrigerator light so it doesn't come on them on the Sabbath. but it's all about love, right? We're going to celebrate his love for us. Are we going to return that with our love for him? 